0: Father, we just declare today in this place that you are worthy of our praise. God, your worth and your riches and your value, God, far exceed anything we could ever say or even sing to you or about you, but God, you are worthy today of the very, very best that we can offer. God, sometimes our words fail us, God. God, there's many times we don't have the vocabulary to express or declare what you really mean to us. God, then there are those times we just have to open up our mouth and just say you're worthy and we love you and we bless you and we honor you and we glorify you and we exalt you. Would you take just a moment right where you're standing and raise up your hands if you're comfortable doing that. Open up your mouth and just to say, Lord, I I love you today. I praise you today. God, you're worthy today. We exalt you today. We magnify your name today, oh God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We praise you, oh God. You're worthy of our praise, Lord. You're worthy of our praise. God bless you. I'm going to ask you, if you're not standing, to stand with me, please, and reach for your Bibles. We're going to go to the Word of God this morning. Pastor Tony, thank you. Choir, thank you this morning. Worship team, thank you. Musicians, thank you for leading us into the presence of God today. Amen. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles or your electronic devices, whatever you have the Scripture on, if you don't have one, you can follow along on the PowerPoint with me here in just a moment. Go to the book of Numbers, fourth book of the Old Testament, the book of Numbers today, chapter 31. and We're going to read verses 21 through 24. I hear pages turning. Listen, I know we're living in a technological age. And we can get about every version we want on our iPhones or our iPads or our iPods. Let me encourage you on Sundays, bring your Scripture with you, either your Bible or bring your iPad or iPhone. Bring the Word of God with you. It's important that we have the Word in our hands. More important that we have it in our hearts. Numbers chapter 31, if you have it, say amen. Here's what the Bible says. I'm going to pick up here at the tail end a story. And then I'll go back and I'll give you some groundwork that will help us get to where we want to go together. Then Elazar the priest. He's one of the spiritual voices in Israel. He said to the men of war who had gone to the battle, "This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord commanded Moses. Only the gold, the silver, bronze, the iron, the tin, the lead, everything that can endure fire, you shall put through the fire, and it shall be clean, and it shall be purified with the water of purification. But all that cannot endure fire, you shall put through water, and you shall wash your clothes on the seventh day and be clean. And afterward you may come into the camp. Look at verse 23. Here's what he said. Everything that can endure the fire shall be put through the fire. If it can handle the fire, put it through the fire. I want to take a few moments today, I want to preach on this thought, enduring the fire. Enduring the fire. Right before you're seated, I know we've prayed a couple of times. Actually, we've prayed three. We're going to pray one last time today. Could we do that? Father, thank you for the Word today. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. Thank you that I get another opportunity and a privilege, God, to preach the Word to these people. So, Father, today, touch me as I communicate truth. Touch them to hear the truth, God. And when we gather in these altars in a few moments, God, let us be ministered to and strengthened today by the Holy Spirit that comes through the power of the Word of God. We bless you today and thank you for it. In Christ's name, the church said amen. God bless you today. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Pastor Tony, thank you for your help. I never cease to be amazed at the life-altering, soul-stirring, riveting revelation that I find contained in this book, Brother Turpin, we call the Bible. I'm certain there is not a greater piece of work that's been written in all of the world than this book we call the Holy Bible. From cover to cover, and everything in between, it contains such priceless truth and treasure and revelation. It is a road map for our lives. It contains many secrets to what I believe is successful living. It holds stern discipline and rebuke at times. But it is, by all intents and purposes, it is God's love letter to us. It is my opinion that you could sum up all of the Bible and the message in the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, because the Old Testament is a type and a shadow and a picture of the coming of Jesus Christ into this world. And there's a very familiar passage of Scripture that most everyone in here could quote, and I believe it sums up all of the Bible. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. It is the good news. It is the hope of the world. It is the the treasure that changes our lives. And in Numbers chapter 31, there is a very interesting passage of Scripture that we read. I read to you uh, some of the final verses of that story or scenario that has unfolded. When we go back to the beginning verses of Numbers 31, God has instructed Moses, the great leader of Israel, to take vengeance upon a group of people called the the Midianites. He has told him to go in and to kill men and women and children and to slaughter the Midianites. Now, one would be a little uh, concerned upon reading that, and one would be a little bothered to see that God would give Moses that kind of instruction But without understanding why God would say that, it would be hard to grasp why that was written. But we go back to Numbers chapter 25. Let me lay some groundwork for you. That in this particular passage in Numbers chapter 25, the children of Israel are poised to enter the promised land. They are one city away from conquering the promised land. And we read in Numbers chapter 25 that the men of Israel have committed harlotry with the women of Moab, and the women of Moab, there are Midianites, Midianite women that the men of Israel have committed harlotry with. There is this plague that has overtaken the people of Israel because of their sin, and 24,000 of them have died because of the sin. And while Moses is standing, the Bible says in the, in the door of the tabernacle of meeting, talking to those people, explaining what's going on, and explaining their sin and the, and the wrath of God that they're going to have to endure, they've already been going through. If you read Numbers 25, this Israelite man, well, the Bible says the people are standing in the door of their tent in the congregation of the, of the, of the meeting where they meet together. And they're weeping and they're crying because 24,000 people are dead. They're grieved because of what's happening to the nation. This Israelite man walks in with a Midianite woman, takes her into some side room somewhere while Moses is rebuking the people and telling them about the punishment that's happening to them and why it's happening. He takes this Midianite woman in and begins to engage in sexual activity with her. Right in the congregation of the meeting, the tent, the tabernacle where they meet to find God. He brings her in. Elazar the priest sees this, and he's furious. There is this righteous indignation that rises up on the inside of him, and he gets up. He goes into that tent where this Midianite woman and this Israelite man are, and the Bible said he takes his spear and he pierces them both right through their heart. Their lives are ended, and the plague at that moment is stopped. But not before 24,000 people are dead. So significant was this event, and so meaningful was this event, that when Paul would pen his letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 10 and 8, he actually mentioned this very event that unfolded way back in the Old Testament. Then we get back to Numbers 31. And we understand why God has told Moses to take vengeance upon and to attack the Midianites. And Moses follows exactly the order that God had prescribed. He sends the men of war in and they kill, they kill the, the men, they kill women, they kill children. God was serious now about what was going on. And then the Bible tells us that When the the war is done, Eleazar the priest begins to talk to the people. Now just stay with me, I'm laying some groundwork. talks to the people about the ordinance of the law and the purification process that the spoils of war had to go through. He begins by telling them any man that has killed someone is unclean based on the law. And he must sit outside the camp for seven days and be purified. Anybody that has come into contact with a dead corpse is considered unclean. They must sit outside the camp for seven days. And then he begins to talk about the spoils of war, the plunder that the people have brought back from the Midianites that they have destroyed. There's gold and there's silver and there's, there's, there's lead and there's bronze. These wonderful jewels and this gold and this spoil that they've brought back. And because they have come from from those people, the Midianites that had been killed and those, those spoils of war have been in contact with a dead body or a dead corpse. They had to go through a purification process as well. And Elazar the priest says something that intrigued me when I read it. An ordinance of the law that is given by God. Here's what he said. Everything that can endure the fire must be put through the fire. The gold... The silver, the bronze, the tin, the lead. If it can endure the fire, it must go through the fire. And those things that cannot endure the fire, they will go through a purification of water cleansing them. And I believe that that just below the surface and the layer of this Scripture, is a powerful principle that I want to unpack for just a few moments this morning. And when I read that verse, everything that can endure the fire, everything that can hold out against the fire, everything that can bear the fire without resistance, that can bear it with patience, it must go through the fire. Now, here's what that says to me. There are certain things that have the capacity within them to endure the fire. There are certain things that do not have the capacity to endure the fire. Let me keep going for a moment. I'm going to get get us somewhere together. The Word of God is full of symbolism. And in the Word of God, fire symbolizes a number of different things. It symbolizes, according to Exodus 14 and 19, the power and the presence of God. According to Jeremiah 23 and 29, it symbolizes the Word of God. When the Old Testament prophets said that the, that the Word of God was like a fire shut up in his bones. In Acts chapter 2 and verse number 3, it symbolizes the presence of the Holy Spirit. When the Bible says they were in the upper room and the cloven tongues like as a fire appeared and it sat upon each of them, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So it symbolizes a number of different things. If you look throughout Scripture, you'll find that that fire was used for sacred purposes. When they would bring a sacrifice to God, they would consume it with fire. It was used for domestic purposes, for cooking and for baking. It was used as a form of punishment. When God would pour his wrath out at times on the nations, he would burn them up. Sodom and Gomorrah, for example, he burned it with fire. It was used during a time of war for men to go in and to destroy a city with fire but there are several places in Scripture where fire is an emblem and it's a symbol of a trial, of a testing, and of misfortune. According to 2 Corinthians 3 and 13, our our faith will be both tested and revealed, or our work will be both tested and revealed by fire. According to 1 Peter 1 and 7, the Bible tells us that our faith will be tested by fire. In 1 Peter 4 and 12, here's what the Bible says, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, As though some strange thing has happened to you. And then when we look into this Old Testament story of Job, this man that suffered such unimaginable losses, Pastor Tony, I mean, everything that he had was taken from him, everything materialistically was taken from Job. He had 10 children that were taken from him, and he stood over ten freshly dug graves, mourned the loss of his children. His health was taken from him. It wasn't the fact that God inflicted bad things upon Job, but God allowed him to go through some things. And we hear, we hear Job in Job 23 Verses 8, 9, and 10, I'm going to come back to it again in just a moment. Here's what he said. He said, look, I go forward and God is not there. I go backward and I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. But then in verse 10, he, he makes what I believe is a declaration of faith. But he knows the way that I take. Watch now. And when I have been tried as fire, I shall come forth as pure gold. Now, what did Job mean when he said, when I've been tried as fire, I shall come forth. I'll come out as pure gold. Job is talking about a process of purification that gold would go through in order for it to become gold. Gold did not go in gold and come out gold. Gold went in something else, and then it came out gold. Watch this. It's an ancient practice, a very old ancient practice, but it's still used today, and it's called fire assaying, or to assay, A-S-S-A-Y. And that word literally means to try, to test, or to judge The character or the worth of something. It means to analyze. It means to examine. It means to evaluate. And here's how this process would work these goldsmiths would get these different materials that all contained metal, and they would begin to crush and to pulverize and to beat into little small pieces. They would then begin to separate some of these materials and these pieces. They would begin to to weigh them out. And they would would create something. Here's a little chemistry lesson for you. Even though I didn't take chemistry, I've read enough and know enough, called an alloy. They would create this material of all of these elements that contained metal. They would take this alloy, this this material with these elements that all contained metal, and they would put it in a dish called a scorifier. They would then take that dish and they would place it in an oven at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. When that part of the process was done, they would pull that scorifier out, and they would have what is called a molten slag. They would take this really thick-like substance that had been created in that oven and they would pour it into this iron cast uh, or this this metal-like mold so that it could begin to cool. When the process of cooling was done, they would pull pull it out of that mold. They would take what they call a a little uh, hammer, a button hammer, And they would begin to knock off all the lightweight pieces that were on the edge of that that mold that they had pulled out. When they were done knocking off those those excess pieces, they would have these little lead buttons that remained. They would take these little lead buttons and they would press them down into this clay crucible called a couple, C-U-L-P-E-L. They would press them down in this clay crucible called this couple, which was created and made to absorb lead or the metal once it was brought to a melting point. So they would have these lead buttons in this clay crucible. They would take it, push them down in there, and they would put this clay crucible into the oven again at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And once... It was done in that oven. They would pull it out. That clay crucible had had absorbed all of the lead in those buttons. And the only thing remaining at the top was a little gold bead. And thus you had the process of gold being tried by fire. And look at the process that it would go through, a beating, a crushing, a pulverizing, a smashing into pieces. Placed in the scorifier, and the heat of 2,000 degrees is put on it. It's pulled out again, and the hammer blows are there to knock off all the excess that's there. It's then pressed down again into this clay clay. Crucible put back into the oven at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit, and if it can endure and withstand the heat, it comes out as fine gold. Now, when you look at what Job said, I have been tried as fire, I shall come forth as pure gold. I've been through the heat, but I've come forth. I have felt the hammer blows in my life, but I've come forth. I have been pressed down, and I have been pushed down, and I I have been placed back into the heat of the fire once again, but I've come forth, and when the dust has all settled, there is no lead left, there is no metal left, but I have come to the surface as a fine piece of gold because of the fire that I've been through. Now, let me preach a little bit to you. There are people in here this morning that find yourselves in the fire of life's circumstances. You find yourself in a trial. You find yourself in a place of testing. You find yourself in a struggle. You find yourself feeling the hammer blows of life. It feels like you've been put into the oven at 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. But here's what I want somebody to know if God didn't think you could handle the fire, you would not be in the fire right now. If God didn't think that you had the capacity to endure the fire, you would would not be in the fire right now. If God didn't think you could handle the pressure, you wouldn't be underneath it right now. If God didn't think you were strong enough to handle the struggle, you would not be in it right now. But here's what an almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God understands that we don't. There is gold on the inside of you. There is a treasure on the inside of you. There is something that God is trying to develop. There is something that God is trying to birth. And if you You can handle the fire. When the dust settles, you will come forth as pure gold. Hallelujah. Let me just take a moment and give you some principles here about the fire. Number one, if you're taking notes, you are not in the fire alone. Somebody say it. Say, I am not by myself. Come on, say it one more time like you believe it. I am not by myself. Say it. Let me take you back to Job again. I don't know if you, if you saw some of, the, some of the depth of this scripture. He said, I go forward and he's not there and backward and I can't perceive him. But when he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. Wait a minute. Job, I thought you went forward and you couldn't, he wasn't there. I thought you backed up and he wasn't there. Job, it sounds to us like you're all by yourself, but then he gets to the next verse. He's working on the left hand, but I can't see it, but there's something in me that knows that he's there and he's working, and I'm not by myself. And when he turns to the right hand, wait a minute, Job, you went forward, you couldn't see him. God, I feel the Holy Ghost today. You went backward and you can't see him, but all of a sudden you look to the left, you can't see him, but you know he's working. And then, Job, God will turn to the right hand and you say to us, though I can't see him on the left, he's working. And though I can't see him on the right, he's working. Well, Job, then you're going to tell us, but he knows the way that I take. Job, how in the world could God know which way you're going if you feel like in those first verses you're all by yourself? Here's the point, Job was letting us know he was not by himself. The death of ten children, the loss of everything he had, the loss of his health, the loss of his wealth, but he could say, he is with me. He knows the way that I take even though I find myself in the fire right now. God is with me and God is working in my behalf. Watch. There's an old verse of Scripture We have quoted it on the ball field. We have spoken it on the battlefield. We have have said it in the classroom. We've said it at a graveside. And the psalmist David would say, The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I mean, really, if we wanted to, I don't have time to preach all this. We could stop right there at the first verse, James Hanks, and say, The Lord is. The Lord is. The Lord is what? You can fill in the blank if you'd like to. Matter of fact, listen, David goes on and uses the Hebrew name for God the Lord is my shepherd. He is Jehovah Raha. You do know there are seven Hebrew names that describe who God is. If David wanted to, he could have said the Lord is my healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. If he wanted to, he could have said the Lord is Jehovah Shema the God who is present. If he wanted to, he could have said the Lord is Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. If he wanted to, he could have said the Lord is Jehovah Nisi. He is my banner. If he wanted to, he could have said the Lord is Jehovah Jehovah Sidkenu. He is my righteousness. He just said the Lord is, and he put the shepherd in there, but I'm telling you that anything you need and any anytime you need it, God is more than enough. He said the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, Here it is, verse 4. I am not alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it may appear like I'm in a place of death. It may look like and feel like I'm in a place of death. It may look like and feel like I'm in the fire, but here it is. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with my cup runs over surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever David said I don't have to walk through the valley afraid because God is with me I am not alone in the fire he'd go over in Psalm 139 7 8 9 and 10 here's what he'd say where can I flee from your spirit Or where can I go from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, David said, there you will hold me. And there you will find me and there your right hand will hold me. God, I cannot get away from you. What did God say through the prophet Isaiah? Isaiah 41 and 10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. What would he say in Isaiah 43, 1 and 2? But now thus says the lord who created you o jacob and he who formed you o israel here we go fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they will not overflow thee. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and neither shall the flame kindle upon you. Here's the point I want you to get today. You may feel like you're in the fire, but you are not alone. And Daniel 3 and 25, when King Nebuchadnezzar looked in at those three Hebrew boys he had thrown in there, he said, wait a minute, I thought I put three, but I see four, and one looks like that of the Son of God. I don't know where you are today. I don't know what you're walking through. I've come by this church to tell somebody here today, you are not by yourself. God is with you, if you're glad about that. Come on, somebody, and praise the Lord today. Oh, hallelujah. There's something about knowing we're not alone. Look what David said in Psalm 142 and 4. He felt all by himself. He said, look now at my right hand and see. There is no one who acknowledges me. He said, refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. It's the words of a man who felt all by himself. And it's one thing to be in the fire and have somebody with you. It's another thing to feel like you're all alone. It's like that little boy that I read about. Little five-year-old boy, they said his name was Johnny, and his mama was cooking dinner one night. And she said, Johnny, I need you to go to the pantry and get me a can of tomato soup. He said, Mama... I can't do that. It's dark and I'm scared. Johnny, I'm telling you, I need you to go to the pantry. And I need you to get me a can of tomato soup, mama, please. It's dark. I'm scared. I don't want to go by myself. And finally, after she insisted, and she said to him, Johnny, go get me a can of tomato soup. Jesus will be there with you. So Johnny goes to that dark pantry. He kind of peeks around the corner, and Johnny says, Jesus, if you're in there, would you please hand me that can of tomato soup? Listen, there's something about knowing that we are not by ourselves. And I want you to know today that you may be walking through the darkest valley of your life. You feel the fire and the flames licking at your feet. But I've come by to tell somebody today, you are not by yourself. God is with you. Come on and praise the Lord if you're glad about that. Here's the second thing you need to know. And that's that the fire won't last forever. Whatever you're walking through right now, whatever you're dealing with right now, as bad as it may seem, you got to know this, it's only temporary. Did you hear that? It's only temporary. It's not going to last forever. Here's what Paul said. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 16 and 17. He said, therefore, we don't lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. He said, the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now watch this, verse 17. For our light affliction, our light affliction is but for a moment. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working watch this. for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Wait a minute, Paul, aren't you the same guy that wrote up in verse eight and nine? We're hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. Pastor Eva, we're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted but not forsaken. We're struck down but we're not destroyed. Paul, are you the same guy that just wrote that? Now you're going to come along and say that this light affliction which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory? How can you say that in verse 8 and 9 and then come back in verse 17 and say, but it's, it's a light affliction. Here's why. Because he understood Aunt B was temporary. It was temporary. Hard-pressed but yet not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. This is coming from a man who said he spent a day and a night in the deep, in the sea, floating around. This is a man that five times he received from the Jews, 39 lashes. This is a man who'd been shipwrecked and left for dead on more than one occasion. And he says, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us ex far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. I mean, How? How do, you, how do you have that kind of perspective? And I don't know if any of us have been through what Paul had been through. I mean, we've had some whippings in our day, but not, not 39 lashes laid on us by the Jews. And Paul understood. It's temporary. And I'm telling you that whatever you're going through today, right now, it's temporary. How many of you would just be honest and you would say with me today, Pastor, I'm in a place right now. I, I kind of feel the heat in my life right now. Would you just raise up your hand, anybody today? Anybody? Come on, be honest. Be honest. It's, it's temporary. It didn't come to stay. This too shall pass. But here's what we have to begin to wrap our minds around. We have to wrap our minds around the timing of God. Listen, when Jesus went into the wilderness, he didn't stay in the wilderness forever, did he? Forty days. When Daniel got thrown into the lions, then how long did he stay in the lions? Then it just was overnight. It wasn't forever. Those three Hebrew boys that got thrown into the fiery furnace, they didn't stay there forever. Listen, it's temporary. But here's what we have trouble—we have trouble with. I talked about this in class the other Wednesday night. 2 Peter three and nine, God speaking through Peter, because we believe the Scripture is divinely inspired. He wrote this verse of Scripture that I wish that he had left out. A day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a day. I would prefer that not be in the Bible. A day, listen, a day with the Lord is as a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years as a day. Here's the point. Our concept of time and his concept of time are on two opposite ends of the spectrum. And when you feel like it's been forever, God says, it's barely been 24 hours. Really, God, it feels like it's been 24 years. And what you feel like has been going on forever, God says, it's just, with me, it's, just, it's almost like it's just like a day. Because in my concept of thinking, in my concept of time, listen, you have got to wrap your mind around this principle that your time and God's time do not ever equal. They never match up. And here's what Peter, listen, Peter would say that, that a day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. But this is the same guy who wrote in 1 Peter 5 and 10, but may the God of all grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a little while, somebody say a little while, after you have suffered a little while, he said he'll perfect you, he'll establish you, he'll strengthen you, and he'll settle you. But it's only going to come after the fire. And we are in a hurry to get out of the fire, Brother Stout. Brother Beckner, if we do, we'll do anything within our power to not stay in too very long, but here's the truth this morning. God can't produce gold unless you stay in the fire. God cannot produce in you what he is wanting to produce, and Sister Reaver, what he's wanting to create, unless we stay in the fire. And there's no doubt in my mind, Pastor Reaver, you've got some stories you could tell that have been gold Producing moments and seasons in your life that it made you better because you stayed and you went through it. Listen, you can't always run when the heat gets turned up. Sometimes you just got to get your fire proof. Gear on. You know what you have to do. You've got to just stop where you are. You've got to drop on your knees and roll your cares over on him. And you thought that the 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 the, the fire. What's that? The, the the National Forest and the the Fire Association to stop, drop, and roll. There's a spiritual principle. You got to stop right where you are and just hang in for a minute. You got to drop down to your knees and offer it to God in prayer. And you got to roll. You got to roll your cares over onto him and know that the same God that allowed you to go into the fire is the same God that will bring you out of that fire. Here's the last point. You're not in the fire alone. The fire won't last forever. And the fire is not about today. It's about tomorrow. Here's what I mean. The fire is not about where you are as much as it is about where you're going. Did you hear that? Pastor Tony, come help me land this, please, sir. The fire is not about where you are. It has more to do with where you're going. I mean, there's example after example of this in the Scripture. I mean, we could look at the life of David out in that field, tending sheep, and here comes a bear, and here comes a lion on two separate occasions to steal from David's flock and what did David say happened at that moment? That with his, somehow with his bare hands, the power of God came upon him? Whether he used a slingshot with his bare hand or I just happened to be grabbed that thing by its mane and just tore it apart. I don't know. I know what the Bible says. And do you think that those moments when the bear and the lion came was just about David tending sheep? Lord, No. God knew there was a Goliath going to stand in front of him, 10 feet, 4 inches tall. A little teenager, shepherd boy, was going to have to fight him. That bear in that line wasn't about David being a shepherd. That bear in that line that came was about David being a warrior to have to fight Goliath. Do you think when he stood there to fight Goliath, it was just about fighting Goliath at that moment? No. God knew King Saul was going to come. God knew that somehow David was going to find favor with King Saul and he was going to be able to make his way into the palace. But God also knew that King Saul has become a paranoid, crazy, tormented king that for years would hunt David down and try to kill him and David would hide in caves. The bear and the lion wasn't about the field, it was about Goliath. Goliath wasn't about that moment of victory. Goliath was about David getting ready to handle all that King Saul would throw at him. And do you think that those years running from King Saul and overseeing 600 men and administrating war and taking care of stuff was just about that moment? No, it was about the fact that God knew David was going to be the king one day. So see, what you're going through right now, we've got such a limited perspective. We think it's about here. And God says, no, the fire is not about here. It's about tomorrow. The fire's not about today, it's about tomorrow. It's not about where you are, it's about where you're going. I'm taking you somewhere, but if you can't handle this, you certainly won't be able to handle that. And if I had time, I'd talk to you about Joseph. the Dreamer boy. the Favorite of his mom and daddy, or his daddy, I mean. His mama loved him pretty good, too. But His daddy had an affinity for him. He makes this coat of many colors for his boy. I don't know how wise Jacob was by doing that, but... He did it, and the rest of his brothers are out tending the sheep, and Joseph's got this coat of many colors. Look what my daddy made me. He didn't make you one. Joseph wasn't too smart all the time. And God would give Joseph these dreams about being in great prominence one day, being a king one day and ruling over his brothers and over his dad, and instead of keeping his mouth shut, he went and told everybody, listen, there's some things you just don't need to tell. If God gives you something, you don't have to go and get on Facebook and tell the whole world, just shut up every now and then. It'll do all of us some good. You don't always have to tell everything. There are some things that God tells you, just ponder it in your heart and be quiet about it. When it's time, God will bring it to pass. His daddy gives him that coat, sends him out to check on his brothers. And they said, here he comes, the old dreamer boy. That's the same boy that said he's going to rule over us. Like, Look, there's that coat His coat. coat That coat our daddy gave him. He didn't give us one. What they do? They stripped him of that coat, and they threw him into a pit. The Bible lets us know that it was, it was deep, it was dark, and there was no water in the Bible said. Threw him into the pit. Was that pit just about being in the pit? Uh-uh. God knew the prison was coming. God knew that his brothers were going to pick him up out of that pit, sell him into slavery to a band of Ishmaelite traders coming by. He was going to end up in a man named Potiphar's house in charge of everything except Potiphar's food. That's interesting to me. Joseph was in charge after he got pulled out of the pit, sold to a band of traders. God gave him favor in Potiphar's house. Potiphar was the chief executioner. He he, he pulled the plug to kill people. He hit the power button to kill people. found favor. Everything except Potiphar's food. You know what that tells me? Potiphar liked to eat. A lot of stuff that you can mess with. Don't mess with a man's food. And there in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph of rape. That wasn't true. That wasn't true. So what happens? He's he's thrown into prison. Wait a minute. The pit wasn't just about the pit, was it? It was about the prison. And they're in the prison. Okay, well, that must be the end of the story. Joseph's just there. The prison wasn't even about the prison. The prison was about the fact that Joseph was going to ascend into power in the palace of second in command of all of the land. But Joseph, Joseph could, not, could not handle the palace if he hadn't first been through the pit and been through the prison. See, it's not just It's not just about today. It's about tomorrow. It's not just about where you are. It's about where God's taking you. And I'm going to close with this. That same chapter in 2 Corinthians, when Paul says it's it's a light affliction, but for a moment, he he goes down to verse 18. Here's what he says. While we do not look at the things which are seen, he said, but the things which are not seen. He said, for the things which are seen are tempah, but the things which are not seen are are eternal Got perspective and here's the thing, we we look at everything that's going on based on perspective of here and now and God says listen, it's not just about here and now, it's about tomorrow and even greater than that, I'm just getting you ready to spend eternity with me anyways hallelujah what did Peter say, and I'm closing what did Peter say After you've suffered a little while, God's going to come in. He's going to perfect you. He's going to establish you. I like this word. He said he's going to strengthen you. It's the Greek word sterizo, It's where we get the English word steroid. God's going to pump you up. God's going to give you so much power and give you so much strength. He's going to perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and then he's going to settle you. When? After. You've suffered a little while. And I want to tell somebody today, when the flames finally die down and the heat is finally turned down and the season of fire and testing and trials over, I promise you with everything that's within me today as your pastor, you're going to come out far better than you were when, before you went in. And God is going to complete everything that he has started in your life so listen stop running for the fire stop trying to bring water with you to put it out God's got you there for a reason and if God didn't think you could endure the fire you wouldn't be there but God knows there's some gold on the inside of you and if you can endure the fire I'm telling you when the dust settles there's gold that's coming to the surface and God is going to use the fire and for your future Come on and stand to your feet with me all over this building. Would you do that, please?